Welcome to First Watch. I'm your host, George Comedy. Today we are talking about diversity and inclusion in cybersecurity and helping cybersecurity get a seat at the table in terms of business innovation and direction. Here with us today is Mary Galloway. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Nice and early. Nice um, and early your time. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, ninja's gotta get started, gotta get started early for sure. This is true. This is true. Especially after long nights of bowling. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's cross-training for ninjas. Little known fact is bowling. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we're going to start here. You, first of all, are crazy busy. So yes. let me just list these things off. Security professional, CEO, founding board member of Kick-Ass Organization, advisory board member, and to top it all <laughs> off, big on InfoSec Twitter. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into each of those layers, okay. um, but why, why don't we start at the beginning? So you've been in information security for quite a while, time at Accenture and DHS, to uh, to name a few. So let's start there. How how did you get into cyber? We often find that the roots are circuitous. Always interested in the background. So I actually. Before I even got into tech, I had my degrees in um, information systems and stuff, um, but I actually worked as like an assistant manager at a clothing store uh, while I was going to school. I worked as an armed security guard for the State Department um, to get my clearance so I could do cleared work. But my mom actually was the one who put me in contact with her recruiter at Accenture because they were looking mm -hmm. for IT folks. And that's that was where I got my start. So I was actually a network engineer first. Um, and then I saw Joe McRae out of uh, Northern Virginia show us how to pull router configurations on the internet. And I was like, I got to do security because <laughs> that should not happen. <laughs> like in plain text. <laughs> it's like, okay, so that's, that's how I got my start um, on the government side. So I worked for the NGA contract, moving all of their disparate um, locations into one location in Springfield. Um, yeah, I had no clue what I was getting into. I just knew mm -hmm. I wanted to do tech and, you know, pull cables and set up switches and routers and do all that, that not really fun stuff, but it was really fun stuff. <laughs> did, did you get into information systems originally just because you liked tooling around with computers? Is there's like a natural attraction to just like the machinery components of it? Um, so I like to build stuff. I'm a big Lego person. I don't know if you guys can see behind me that Millennium <laughs> oh, yes. Falcon yep, device back it. there. <laughs> there um, and so, and I always, you know, played around with technology. I was an architecture student and at the end of high school, mm -hmm. beginning of college, and we used a lot of technology for that kind of stuff. Um, and I double majored at the time in information systems. So it was just kind of a, I wanted to be a database administrator. I don't know mm -hmm. why, like... <laughs> Maybe the first time that, that anyone <laughs> yeah. has ever said that. <laughs> like, I was like, I really love, because I liked Access. So Microsoft uh, Access back then. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just do a business degree in this, in technology and in, in, uh, information systems. And that's kind of, so I wasn't like the, I had technology growing up. You know, I had the games and the computers and all that, but I wasn't a, like a true tech person in that sense. Mm -hmm. But it kind of just, I was like, well, we use technology all the time. How can I get involved in using that more and, you know, understanding how organizations use it. And that's kind of how I, how I flowed into that. Oh, that's cool. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it strikes me the Lego analogy works, right? Because <laughs> I feel like so much of cybersecurity, and we've had some guests refer to it as a game before. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's like yep. just solve a different Rubik's cube every day, <laughs> you know. So, um, all right. So, given your your work, which we again will touch on, um, addressing a lot of systemic issues in, in this particular industry. Um, when you think about this journey, uh, are there any pivotal moments or experiences that stand out? Was there, you mentioned your, you know, your mom turned you onto the Accenture recruiter and you had, but were yeah, there professors yeah. or mentors, some kind of experience there that solidified your interest or helped you along the way? Making me dig deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than I look, so. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Um, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's deep, but. Um, I actually, my um, my access teacher in college, she was she was one of those people that like pushed you to be ready for a corporate world, and oh, nice. so I think um, like if you were if you came to class dressed up like you're working a business because back back then it was you got a suit and tie type of thing you get extra credit and so it was like okay cool, um, and she really just kind of pushed us to dig deeper into. Um, databases and the technology and how a little bit about security at that point now that I think about it um you know what the implications are if you don't secure these things and like what happens to personal you know people's data and you know your your money and all of that stuff so I, I think she was one of them um when I went to Strayer for grad school um my economics teacher actually was kind mm -hmm. of influential with pushing me to go more into technology. So we had to take economics. I don't know why for an IT degree. Hey, you just have to do what you got to do. Because um, <laughs> I get, yeah, I mean, I guess money changes hands. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he he was actually instrumental in helping me see the business side of, mm -hmm. of this. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of mentors. I had a, people that showed me not what not to do. You know, my very first boss, I hated him. Mm. No. Um, he That's wanted me just to be a secretary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he wanted me to be the secretary and I was just like, I don't want to do that. I want to be hands-on. I want to, I want to get dirty and do this stuff. And, and, um, I had a lot of folks that did that. I think once I found cyber jitsu, that's kind of where, things changed a little bit and I was able to see, okay. And I was able to talk to other people, other women in the industry, trying to get in the industry and just kind of find, find my place and figure out what I wanted to do. So it was, it's been, you know, over 11 years, it's, there's been various groups of people that have helped guide me down this path. Yeah. I want to uh, double click into the business side of things a little bit. I think that's that sounds really valuable to me. I think a lot of um, education can feel like you're getting these lessons or you're learning a skill. Like you know, our producer Chloe did finance and she learned all there is to do about Excel. But it's harder to teach. Like, what do you do with that information? How would you present it to a supervisor to like yeah. make decisions? In the case of database design, it's probably like, how would you develop a plan? And then you like take that plan and right. try to get by. And, and often I feel like you just get those lessons by getting thrown in. So yeah, <laughs> I think to your point, having someone who is teaching you something, but giving you the business end of, of how that education applies would be very, uh, very useful. 
yeah, my strategic strategic planning course in undergrad um, was really good because they gave us an the, the project for the semester was build a strategic plan for a company. And our company was American Airlines. Mm-hmm. And just to see, you know, going through the SWAT and the, you know, the financial analysis and all those different business things that you go through, um, it helps to bring everything together because technology isn't just by itself. For sure. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of an ecosystem. So you have to understand those different pieces and parts, especially if you want to be in one of those senior executive positions, you know, a CISO, a CTO, Mm -hmm. any of that stuff, you need to understand all of it. And also like just the, the people and the incentives, right? Cause like the security people would be like, we need this. And then the other (laughs) part of the organization's like nothing doing because it's going to either make my job more complicated or, you know, adds more friction to the customer journey. So that's cool. So, so you brought up, uh, cyber jitsu so let's let's get into that can you just for the benefit of our listeners let's hear about the women's society of cyber jitsu which is maybe up there in the top five names for 503c organizations (laughs) so we got our start um in 2012 lisa jiggets our founder um Mm -hmm. and current board member she she saw a need for not necessarily an organization, but just a place for women to come and learn about hacking because she's a hacker by trade. Um, she's from Northern Virginia. And so there was, she went to a few meetups up there at the time and then they kind of fizzled out or she just didn't feel comfortable. And so mm-hmm. she said, let me just host a workshop on Linux and backtrack. Let's see what happens. And there's like 50 people there. And then it was virtual too. So on site and virtual. And that's what started. Um, that's what got the ball rolling with the organization and her thinking, Hey, there's a need for this kind of organization because there weren't any that were doing mm-hmm. the technical hands-on for women. Um, and so I I linked up with her in March of the 2013. Um, so I failed my CSSP. So mm-hmm. I needed a study group. I hated study groups, but I was like, let me just try and see. And that's how I got involved. But we provide hands-on training for women and girls. Um, our focus is women and girls. We also, you know, we build a community for people to come in that are either new, they're you know, been in the industry for a while, they're looking to, you know, transition careers, whatever. We provide a community and a space for them to come and to grow and to learn no matter what stage they're at, right? Mm-hmm. We provide, um, it's like a little tribe. We call it the Cyber Jitsu tribe. So we, we coined that hashtag because basically that's what it is. It's your tribe of folks that are empowering you and helping you to grow in your career. So. Yeah, and I, I imagine, you know, first of all, being virtual back then you were ahead of your time but um (laughs) the fact that that converges with the uptake in linkedin Mm -hmm. probably gave you like a really accelerated way to also yes mentors right like if someone's just coming in their mentor could be three states away across the country that's cool and linkedin's grown significantly here I am aging myself because I remember when LinkedIn was being sold or was going to get sold. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then it's, and then now it's this, this huge thing. And it's definitely one of those conduits to connecting folks from around the world, you know, like all the other social media platforms. And so um, that just helps us spread the message of, you know, anybody can do this as long as you, you know, have the initiative, you put your mind to it, you take the time to learn and to grow and to gain that knowledge from others. It's definitely worth it. Yeah. And so I, you started out as, um, sounds like a 
working group of professional women mm-hmm. in use, but you, I, you caught my ear because I'm a dad and you said women and girls. So have you seen yes. that membership <laughs> widen up in terms of age? Like are, are people getting started earlier? Yes. Um, so our girls program is for middle and high school girls and it's, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily cyber it's STEM just to get yep. them exposed to different topics and to think, Oh, maybe I can do a career in some type of STEM program. Um, it's definitely widening. And as we continue to grow, as other organizations continue to come up, uh, we're able to reach down into like elementary school and just expose them to a few topics. Because even in elementary school, like they have phones and they're on, they're on the technology all day mm-hmm. already. Especially so, now. Especially now. So now is like the perfect time to say, hey, you're on this and you teach it to them in a way that they understand. But it plants the seeds for... Yeah, it's 15 years from now for some of them, but still it plants those seeds. You got to build the pipeline at the youngest age you can so that they're prepared to take on the next set of challenges when they come out. Well, and to be sure, they they just have to be able to see themselves, right? If, yeah. if you're a little girl and you have no exposure first to it, right. then okay there's no interest because you weren't even given a chance and then if you do have interest and you you don't see anybody right then that ain't gonna happen right um okay so i'm gonna change tack a little bit like we said you're keeping busy so in addition to to leading this society um you also teach through the university of maryland's global campus you're on the advisory board at cal state chico what does your typical day look like? Because I was like, when does this lady sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of coffee. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I just had to learn how to like time block recently, like in the last few months, because I was I, I was like, I can't. Working from home now, it's difficult. Um, but typically my nine to five Palo Alto. So I'm doing that, working with customers all day, um, working on SOAR products and learning that, that technology. Um, and then after that, you know, I'll spend an hour or so um, in the classroom because it's all remote. So we don't have mm-hmm. to be physically anywhere. And, you know, talking to the students, grading, um, encouraging them to dig deeper into the concepts that we're learning cybersecurity specifically. So right now I'm teaching um, CYSA prep course. So vulnerability right. management and threat, yep. um, which is a really cool class. Plugging the school. <laughs> <laughs> um Advisory board stuff, that's typically once a quarter. So it's not too difficult. Um, I also run a business. I have my own business. so Of course you do. Um, I, <laughs> I do that <laughs> on the side, you know, a couple hours here and there. Um, but typically, I just fit in where I can what I need to do. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Got to take breaks. So I, I I have to allocate time for like, all right, an hour of time to go downstairs and watch Ratchet TV. You know, right. whether that's or, something or, on Lifetime. Or assemble the Millennium Falcon again. <laughs> or assemble the Legos, you know. So um, it's definitely it's definitely picking up now. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to hire somebody to help with some of that stuff so that I don't have to worry about doing it because I don't have time. I don't even have kids. So I can only imagine what folks with children have to deal with yeah, <laughs> and I how mean, they have to do it. <laughs> real opportunity cost. Um <laughs> When it when it comes to the teaching aspect, have you seen any trends or major changes in the the folks that are signing up for classes? I didn't know if you maybe saw 
an increase in matriculation with the pandemic or um, the demographics of the students have changed? So with the University of Maryland, it's um, a lot of the students that I get, I think the class I had last semester, I want to say like 95% were military. And that's that's typical for, you know, University of Maryland typically has a lot of military folks because yeah. they're on the military installations around the world. Um, but that's the first class that I've seen that many military folks in. It's usually about an even 50-50 split. So I think a lot more people on the military side are starting to say, okay, I'm getting close to retirement. I'm getting close to separation. I need to figure out what my next plan is and utilize those funds that they give us. And so I, I've seen a lot more, especially in some of those um, certification based courses where mm. they get a certification at the end. So like, yeah, when I get out, I need to be able to get a job. Yep. And so they want to get those skills. So I definitely have seen an increase in that. And then university of Maryland constantly brings out new courses. They revamp all of their courses. Um, and so as those new courses come out, slowly starts to bring in more students. So we just launched um, Pentest Plus course oh, nice. from CompTIA. So I'll see. We'll see a lot of ses sections for that as well coming up because everybody wants to be a pen tester. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's an that's an interesting. I don't know. If we have time for that, but that's an interesting divide. I think people are attracted to pen testing because it's the you know, mm -hmm. go forward, aggressive attack, and it's the fun, yep. it's the hacking bit, but <laughs> it's the bridging of that skill set into like, as you said, the CISO role or the CIO role. Like, how right. do how do you get from the fight into like, okay, what's the business, the right. PL, the large organizational vision right. that seems to be a, a I think bridge that's hard. hard to divide? Yeah, that's definitely difficult. I struggled when I went from engineer to architect. Mm -hmm. at the casino because i i like like i said i like to be hands-on i like to be in the technology learning how to use the technology setting it up and so to go from that engineer mindset to strategic mindset it, it was difficult because i was mm -hmm. like well i can just go and fix it myself and do it myself and figure <laughs> right. it out and <laughs> you can't no, do that Mary, when that's why we gave you a team <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so that i haven't figured out that transition but in my new role, I think I'm doing a lot better at that because mm -hmm. I didn't have, I wasn't an engineer when I first started at Palo. I always was, I've always been an architect. So that's cool. Um, all right. So you occupy this sort of critical space. It's like that three part Venn diagram. You got education, <laughs> um, you have the private sector, you have advocacy. So I got a, a few questions. Um, what are you seeing as the most critical gaps for inclusion, both of women and kind of my marginalized communities mm -hmm. at large? I mean, given your view of those three spheres. Definitely representation um, at, there's a lot of representation, I think, at the lower levels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's, there's, there's not so much at the higher levels. Um, I don't, I very rarely do I see organizations that I'm interested in potentially working for that have, you know, a C-suite that's got a variety of folks from different backgrounds, um, men, women, non-binary, whatever, mm -hmm. um, black, white, Asian, whatever. You don't see that very often. 
And so it makes it difficult for folks that want to aspire to that that type of role to see that, right? To say, oh, I, I don't think I can do that at that company, um, even though that could be the case. You know, they, they could have a plan. So with inclusion, um, it's a, you have to have representation and then you have to be intentional. And with all of the things that have happened in the last, because it's been about a year, um, mm. I was just on a panel yesterday about that. It's literally like a year has gone by um, and everybody says all of these cool things like, yeah, we're about diversity and inclusion. We're going to bring all these people in and do this. But if you're not intentional about it, it's just words, right? You have to actively, if you're going to do something about inclusion, you have to actively put people in those positions that are qualified and then listen to their their advice, their stories, their their ideas, not just say, okay, we put somebody there, we're good. Yes, we, we've think, checked that box. Right, you can't you can't just do that, and I think that's where um, I think that's the biggest the biggest gap that we see across the board. Um, I think once that is addressed, and once people actually um, adjust to that and start mm-hmm. accepting it, and just saying, "Okay, this is we're going to make this a part of our culture, a part of our life." I think everything else will start to fall into place a little bit more. Back with Mary Galloway in a moment. If you like this episode of First Watch and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You can catch up on past episodes like our interviews with Anthony Johnson and Larry Whiteside Jr. And you'll get new ones straight to your feed. Now, back to my conversation with Mary Galloway. Have you seen any change in the activities of the society as a result of that? Like, I know it started out as like technical working group, but you know, I I assume that, and I have seen members of your society Mm -hmm. occupy some higher echelons. And so like, I guess, you know, that discussion, how does that get um, operationalized or engendered in the society? Um, So for us, we want to help people at every every stage. Mm-hmm. And so we try to we try to provide programming and opportunities to to match those stages of the career. Um, so we'll, you'll see fe- folks that are senior level. We have CEOs in the organization, um, and they typically will mentor some of the younger generation of folks. But we try to make sure that the representation at the top of our organization mimics what we would expect at another organization minus the minus the guys we don't have guys on the on the board yet (laughs) (laughs) minus that but (laughs) that's a different topic um but we want folks to come to us and be like i can be a part of that community because Mm -hmm. i somebody looks like me that's running it or i feel comfortable i feel confident right i'm not your typical ceo i don't even consider myself one all the time but um you know if, if it comes down to it, you and i can go grab a beer you know and right. shoot the breeze at the bar down the street you know just that's just i want folks to come to the organization and feel like they're included and we they have ideas we listen you know we we let them run with those ideas and do whatever they need to do and that's how organizations should be um to an extent obviously right um but i i i I feel that we definitely have the representation and we have that that look of, okay, that might be a good place to be because they have differing ideas. Cause we're all from different backgrounds and different places. Like 
Lisa's Japanese. She's she lived in Japan most of her life. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in multiple places in the states because my folks are military. Jessica has a marketing background, so we all have different different um, backgrounds that people can see and say, "Yes, I want to be a part of that. Let me go and be a part of that." Okay, well, that that actually touches on something else um, with respect to to what you can see from your vantage point, which is. Do you see any gaps in kind of the cybersecurity education curriculum? Like, are there elements of the quote unquote standard curriculum that you feel should adapt to either business realities that you're seeing on the ground with Palo Alto or, or other things? We've heard, for example, some folks say like, you know, I want generalists, not specialists. We've alternately heard, you know, technical skills, but if you can't explain how Mm -hmm. a business makes money, then you'll have a hard time, you know, deciding what systems to harden and how. Just just interested in your professorial take. Um, So education is an interesting realm because colleges and universities have to follow certain accreditations, right? Mm -hmm. So... There's always going to be that gap of trying to keep up with emerging technology versus meeting the accreditation because it doesn't, it, technology moves so quickly. Yeah. Um, they can't update. So you have to have some supplemental stuff in there. Um, but I think a number of schools make you take like business courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen that, but I definitely think in the materials itself, um, I know with our stuff at University of Maryland, they have like real world scenarios to where you have to, okay, go look at this vulnerability report and then put a report together that you're going to present to um, senior leadership on what needs to be done, what the cost looks like, how this is going to affect the, the business bottom line. And so I think with what, at least with the University of Maryland, they do try to incorporate that business side so that you mm-hmm. have both the technical skills and those core skills that you need to to be successful in no matter what role you're in. Um, in the outside world, you know, and with the supplemental the education outside, <laughs> outside of, you know, colleges and universities, um, there's a lot of organizations that are trying to kind of fill that gap of making sure people have the technical and the non-technical. Um, I don't know if it's effective, Mm-hmm. Um, I know from our, the stuff that we do, even if it's a non-technical training, we try to get it to be hands-on. So if it's a core skills training, we want it to be hands-on. We want you to be able to engage and implement whatever you're learning from the webinars and from the workshops and from the different training to make sure you're a well-rounded individual. Cause that's what it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, when you see this, uh, this paradox of like, look how important IT was during the pandemic <laughs> and the lockdown. And yet mm-hmm. so few uh, board seats are occupied by anyone who remotely touches IT, let alone cybersecurity. That was like a huge divide. Like that is sort of always a recipe for mm-hmm. failure because got these critical systems and ain't no one on the board understands. Right. <laughs> and I think that comes from a lack of education of just understanding what the skills are you need to be on a board of an organization to help protect it. Um, I think most board positions, at least for uh, organizations, they get paid a little bit, I'm assuming. Um, 
And I think that clouds the judgment of who should be on the board. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks don't think cyber and IT are important. So if they don't think it's important, then why, no matter how many breaches we have, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, oh, it won't I think they, <laughs> yeah, they think of technology as like, you know, it's just like this facilitator. It's this thing upon which the business mm-hmm. stands. Right. But of course you kick a seat out from under somebody <laughs> and your business dies. It, it right. goes to, you know, it goes to yeah. shit. Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, okay. Okay. We are in agreement. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to circle back to, uh, cybersecurity jobs, you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of your students seeming like they're trying to get a lot of certifications as they transition into civilian life, but also to get mm-hmm. jobs, right? And we've we've talked with um, several CISOs here. I, I don't think it's cynical to talk about, you know, cybersecurity is a growing industry and it can be a lucrative one at that. And you talked about mm-hmm. career transitions. Um, and you know, we had uh, Larry Whiteside Jr. was on and he spoke about how, you know, cybersecurity can be a generational wealth yes. change for yes. marginalized communities. And, you know, this is on the heels of yesterday. I, I can't remember who released the study, but totally unsurprisingly and totally enragingly, <laughs> Black and Latina women are those yep. who suffered the most from job losses during the pandemic. Do you Do you see part of that education as being like, a very real ability to transition from, you know, one occupational line of work that would sort of have siloed you into one place into, into, let's be honest, a a lucrative career. Yeah. Um, No doubt. Definitely. Um, Larry's a friend of mine and um, he's, he's funny, but um, I definitely, if it's at the college level, if it's, you know, through nonprofit organizations, a 14 week training on like network plus security plus with a little bit of like job training skills attached to it can change somebody's life completely um, for those groups and for folks that live in rural areas that may mm-hmm. not have access to um, some of that more expensive training or access to networks of people that can help them move from one, one type of role to another. Um, so I definitely by all, wholeheartedly believe giving somebody an education and helping show them the way and showing them what can be is going to be life-changing. And cybersecurity needs folks, you know, with what, 2 million jobs open for the next couple of years or by 2023 or whatever the numbers are, um, there's no reason why we can't reach back into those communities and help lift them up to help our national security, to help organizations, you know, become more secure and protect data more efficiently, right? Because they have a different mindset. They have a different thought process. In some instances, they're in a survival mindset all the time, mm-hmm. you know, because because they have to live paycheck to paycheck. They don't know, right. you know, if they're going to be able to keep that second job that they have because they've got kids. So there's definitely, um, I think it's imperative that we we help those groups of people. We should help everybody, right? But if we want to be successful in the industry, we have to help those groups that need it the most. Yeah. Yeah. Two things strike me. You know, we were posting our current open positions. I uh, interviewed Daryl Kelly, who started the Black Cybersecurity Association. So I was posting jobs in their group me. But I remember thinking, 
as I was reading through the chats, like so many of the conversations weren't about the next job. They were all transitions. They were all like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm completing this course and I'm trying to get in as a pen tester, for example, or right. a network administrator. So that that struck me. And then, um, yeah, I think it's because maybe computers still kind of occupy they still put people at a distance. It feels like something that's like hyper-technical. And if you don't know how right. to code, then like, it's not worth taking the course, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, it has a mystique around it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a barrier really. Um, but, but that's where, that's when representation matters mm-hmm. to show it. Okay. We look alike. You can do the same thing. You just have to put in the work to do it, you know? Yeah. So or even getting the exposure of... down to the middle schoolers, right? Like exactly. it doesn't have to be, you know, the quote unquote IT crew in the basement, you know, <laughs> plugging exactly. cables and switches <laughs> and stuff. So we look a little different now. <laughs> yeah. You can still do that stuff, but you can do it looking different. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, I think too, one of the things that scares folks um, are the actual job posts themselves. Mm-hmm. So I look at job posts and it's like, I want you to have eight years of experience on the technology oh, that point. came out last yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it's, you sure. know, it's like, wait a minute, how, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, and the posts aren't, and people harp on this all the time, um, but the posts aren't inviting. Like I have passion for something, but I can't show you my passion because your post doesn't really speak to that passion. Mm-hmm. You know, look at what I've done before that can relate to this particular role, but I can't show you that because your post doesn't, it doesn't allow me to do that. And then for yeah. women, if we don't meet hundred percent of the requirements, we're not going to apply. You know, even if the requirements say we need six of these certifications and we have like two, we're not going to apply for it. <laughs> it's just, the, it's just the thing. Um, yeah. I I've been dealing with that uh, with a couple of friends trying to move from different private sector agency work into like software. Mm -hmm. And I just tell them like, look, they just say three to five years because they're just trying to like, I guess, I don't know, filter out the crazies. Like they just throw up these barriers to see if you're willing (laughs) to jump over them. I don't know that that's the best practice, but you know, you just go for it because, and I, and I think to your point about passion, we've also talked with a lot of people who really are against you know, college requirements, because you can take people who've been hacking their whole life and mm-hmm. if they know the systems inside and out and they've got their certifications, whether they have a bachelor's degree or a master's yeah. or whatever, it's like immaterial to the job that you're trying to hire right. for. Exactly. And that's, you know, we've, we've, that's always been the thing. Go to college, get your education, you'll get the great job. You know, I've got multiple college degrees and I have a great job, but that you don't have to go that route. I also graduated a long time ago. So (laughs) (laughs) things have changed. You know, when I first came in, um, I needed to have a degree. Mm -hmm. They were like, you got to have this degree. And I'm like, okay. And I had it, but it was just like, what about the folks that are really good at this that don't have a degree? You're going to penalize them for not having it. I think you have to look at each person holistically and what they can offer, what they can bring. Yeah, I mean, this is a quasi irrelevant example, but like I got my master's in fine arts and I still had to take like the GRE with a math section. And I was like, it's because they well, have a right. massive spreadsheet <laughs> and they got to have a value in that cell. <laughs> it's like, cool. But you know, you have to, 
we have to figure out what it is we want to do. And companies and organizations have to really, really fill out, figure out what it is they need. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they know what they need. They just assume they know what they need. And what they need is diverse thoughts, diverse ideas, diverse backgrounds. So you having a degree in fine arts is great because you're going to think completely different than somebody that's got, you know, a CS degree. Mm-hmm. That's just because you're, you're, you learn something different and, and it just helps make your team better and it helps with making ideas better and make your business better. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to, I want to, I'd be remiss if we didn't turn our uh, <laughs> attention to the business side, because that's the last layer of the, the cake. Um, so you worked as a professor, you're on advisory boards, and then finally security architect by day. So I was wondering from that vantage point, do you see kind of common pitfalls facing private sector teams or, you know, we, we get into these conversations about like our responsibilities too siloed roles too specialized, like are you missing the forest for the trees? Just want to get your take on that last <laughs> vantage point. Um, so Working for Palo, um, it's actually been an interesting change because I've, it's a, obviously it's a vendor. You work with a lot of customers. I'm typically working with a lot of vendors. Um, mm. With them, I don't know. They have a really good working environment. We work across across the aisle, across the lane, whatever you want to call it, um, continuously because when you're working with the customer, it's not just you, the architect. It's you, the architect, you, the engineer, you, mm. the the manager the professional services team, like we all kind of work together. Um, and it's never a, no, you can't do this because you're not in this role. Um, and some of the other jobs, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, not at least not at my level. I don't really know what the leadership would do, but there is definitely a silo. There is definitely the, my stuff is better than yours mindset, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, you know, I can do this better than you can. And there's this, there's this almost a competition versus a working together for the greater good. Do Um, we ever escape the playground? It just feels like so many things that we did in fourth grade translate. Look, I'm going to be completely honest. Even in the nonprofit world, you see it. Um, (laughs) At least, at least I see it. Um, I don't know if other people see it. They might, but you, you see it across the board because everybody wants to say, I did this first. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that mentality doesn't help. Doesn't help what you're trying to do, right? If we're right. trying to bring more women and minorities in the industry, I can't, yeah, we were around before all of, most of them. Um, but I can't say, well, we were first and we're the best. Right. I have to be able to work with the other organizations because we all offer something different. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way we're going to do better with security. That's the only way we're going to to make an impact, whether it's nonprofit or in the government or in, in the private sector. Um, there, You have to work together. Yeah. And I mean, history is quite clear that type of division has been <laughs> yeah. used to as a weapon against those yeah. communities so so it's definitely there's definitely a gap there of and even with the government with information sharing they don't want to share information from mm-hmm. one agency to another because it they feel it weakens their their position mm-hmm. 
but the information you have could help them right, and right. make the whole thing better. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, guys. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, Mary, it's been really great talking with you. Thank you for taking the time out of your insane schedule. <laughs> happy to be here. Happy you guys. Um, happy. It was great. I love talking with people just about this stuff. And, um, you know, I get to go back now and work on my Cloud Plus study group that I have tonight. I got to finish doing the go. questions. <laughs> so, um, but no, this was great. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Awesome. Bye. That's it for First Watch today. A big thanks to our special guest, Mary Galloway. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber. It's produced by Chloe LeClaire with help from Phil Totora. Edited by Kai Krogetti with original music by Mattia Cefaletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.